0: Hey, I'm Sandy, and I'm a quilter again, finally, yay. And welcome to episode 205, In Which the Cat's Away. Um, and I'll explain that reference in a little bit, because actually I do have a cat in the house now, but that's beside the point. If you are a new listener, that would be absolutely amazing. <laughs> I have not posted an official podcast episode in a very, very long time. Contrary to popular belief, I did not actually pod fade. I just pod hiatus if you'll permit me to coin a new phrase. Um, I had to put this podcast on a vacation for a little while while I was trying to finish up school. I'm not actually still finished with my doctoral work yet, um, but I'll talk about that in a minute. In any case, I did post a short episode, a very rough episode back at the very end of December. I think it might have actually been December 31st. That was recorded while I was still under couch rest. I was laying on the couch with my foot elevated shortly after having had a foot surgery. Um, I did actually talk a little bit about quilting, I believe, in that brief episode, um, but it didn't have any of the pretties. It didn't have my music. It didn't have any sort of organization to it or anything. Um, this one should feel a lot more like an actual episode. I do have, I'm gonna be starting with some life updates the way I used to, and then I do have some actual sewing stuff to talk about. So that's all very exciting. Um, And then hopefully at the end, I will remember to tell you how to be in touch with me so you can leave comments so we can get back to actually talking to each other. So here's the life updates, first of all, Indeed, I'm not actually yet quite done with school, but I'm getting so close. I am still waiting for my... Um Doctor of Ministry project thesis to come back from its second format review. All that means is somebody is checking it to make sure all the footnotes and bibliography and everything are in the proper format. Um, My first format review did not go so well because of some technological issues I was having with Microsoft Word and with the uh, dissertation writing software I was using. Um, And so it was kind of a mess from a format perspective. So. This one I'm hoping will be a whole lot more cleaned up. Um, meanwhile, while it's out of my hands and I'm waiting for other people to do what they need to do on it, that cat is away and this mouse is playing. Um, first of all, I am so excited to actually be reading fiction again. I did always read fiction um, while I was in school, but it was you know just a few pages or percentage points at night on my Kindle when I was getting ready to sleep. I rarely um, took the time to just sit in an armchair with a book on a rainy day, and I've actually been able to do that more on snowy days here, Um, but I have really, God, I've been reading everything. Um, I did, if you follow my blog, you know I now subscribe to the Book of the Month Club. I did try a couple of other Books of the Month Clubs under different titles, And um, all of that's been on my blog, so I'm not going to review that here, but the Book of the Month Club does seem to be working well for me. I've only been doing it for two months. The first month I got two books because as a first-time subscriber to the Book of the Month Club, I was able to throw in an extra book. And so for the first month I had As Bright as Heaven by Susan Meissner and Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng. Um, as Bright as Heaven, I would give it a three out of five. I liked it. It's an historical fiction um, about Philadelphia during the Spanish flu epidemic in the early 1900s. Um, I enjoyed the historicity of it. That's not a time period uh, or city or epidemic that I know a whole lot about. So that was interesting to read. And shortly after I read that, there was a podcast episode, and I don't remember on what podcast series, about um the Spanish flu epidemic. And so it was nice to already be familiar with it and then learn a little bit more about it from a history perspective. Uh, The book itself didn't do a whole lot for me. I didn't hate it, but I also didn't love it. Hence the three out of five. Uh, It was more in terms of um, the characters and the storyline sometimes went for me in slightly unbelievable uh, directions, but it also had some really believable characters in there, so it was kind of, it was just sort of a bit of a mixed bag for me. I will say, however, Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng, I really loved it. Um, that was a book that was hard to put down, you know, when I only had little breaks to read. Uh, so I really did enjoy that one. I think I gave it a four out of five, maybe even a five out of five, although five out of fives for me are kind of rare on Goodreads. But I did really enjoy that, and I certainly would recommend that as a good read. Um. And then a couple of days ago, oh, I'm sorry, the third book I got from Book of the Month, this month's book, was uh, The Philosopher's Flight by Tom Miller. And I really, really liked that one a lot. I was a little concerned it would feel derivative. It was compared to Harry Potter. um, Other than the fact that it was a fantasy about magic, I'm not sure I would say it had a whole lot to do (laughs) with Harry Potter. And even from a fantasy perspective, it was, it had more of the feel of an historical fiction to me because it was based in, um, oh, I think the 1950s, I think, and I think in New York, but now I'm starting to lose those details. I'm sorry, the, but the story itself, it was really enjoyable, and I have always had a thing for books that are sort of Based in reality, uh, in real history, but take a twist to them, like this one where it it did have historical stuff going on that was, you know, recognizable as yes, these things did actually happen, but then it threw in there what would happen if this, if magic existed during these things. And I I always enjoy that when they're well done. Um, Orson Scott Card did that a lot with his fantasy novels, and I always enjoyed those. So I really enjoyed The Philosopher's Flight. I would recommend that. And so, yeah, so far, Book of the Month has been really good. And I think the reason is because, yeah, they make recommendations of five books every month. So I'm seeing books that wouldn't necessarily come to my attention, but then I can choose which of those five books I get. So your, your percentage... Um, possibility of getting a book you actually like does rise up significantly. So that's that's been good for me, and I'm going to continue doing that. And I really am enjoying reading physical books. I still read Kindle at night. I still read Kindle when I'm traveling. Um, it's just easier at night because I don't have to worry about having a light on, and it's lighter and easier to hold because some of those hardcovers, they just get heavy when I'm sleepy. <laughs> so I continue to read on Kindle. Um, But when it's a snowy day or when I have a break between work and getting dinner ready and I just want to sit for half an hour and read, there is nothing like having that physical book in your hands. Um, So although I do intend to start using the library again, uh, I was running errands yesterday, and I was right next to a Barnes & Noble, and it was one of the really big ones, multiple floors, so I I couldn't resist. Now, even though it has two floors, I never got past the displays in the, the front. Um, I didn't even explore the rest of the the store. So I ended up buying Louise Penny's Glass Houses, which is her most recent Inspector Gamache. And I have no idea how that one got by me because it was last August that it was published. And I normally have hers on pre-order on my Kindle and get them immediately. And somehow, well, I shouldn't say somehow, I was writing a thesis. <laughs> I was writing my thesertation at the time. So I don't think I was paying attention, but anyway, i now have the most recent book and that's of course the first one i'm sitting down to read so that's been fun i also liked celestine's little fires everywhere well enough that i went back and bought her first book little fires everywhere is her second novel so i went back and bought her first one which is everything i never told you Um, it was also very highly reviewed it's a lot shorter and i got it in paperback so i think that one will be a a fairly fast read and then i got what i believe is a short story collection Um, (laughs) I know it seems weird that I don't know what I actually bought, but I'll tell you in a minute how that happened. Anyway, um, it's by, I'm not going to pronounce her name correctly, Jumpa Lahiri. I, I think it's a woman. It might be a man. I don't know. Uh, it The novel or the the collection, the book is called The Interpreter of Maladies, um, and it won a Pulitzer Prize. The reason I'm not entirely clear <laughs> on what the book is, I do need to, tonight I'll sit down and flip through it so I actually know what I'm reading. Um, I was using my Goodreads app. If you are not on Goodreads, I can't recommend it highly enough. It is a fantastic way to keep track of what you've read, what you're reading, and what you want to read. Mostly what you want to read. That's what I find its highest value in. Although I've also double-checked it a few times say, didn't I already read this book? And I can go back and say, yeah, I've already read that one. the thing I was really enjoying about it yesterday is that it does have a scan feature. If you have a smartphone, you can connect it to your camera, and then it has a, a scan feature where you scan the ISBN code or the, the barcode there, and it'll immediately show you the, that book on Goodreads. And I will tell you, they just updated their app, and that scan feature works lickety-split. It was so fast. And in fact, I had to be careful because I'd hold one book in front of it to scan. And actually, it wasn't even scanning the barcode. It was just scanning the title and the book image. And so I'd hold one book up and scan it and the book would come up. And as I was starting to click on that book to read more about it, I'd inadvertently move the phone off to the side and it would suddenly scan the next book that was sitting on the shelf. And I had to keep going back and saying, no, no. So I learned to actually turn myself away from the shelf of books and I would hold the book I was scanning up over the floor <laughs> so that if I did accidentally move the camera, it would only pull up the floor and not the book. Anyway, um, that was my little tips and tricks to using the Goodreads scan feature. But it was really helpful. And because I couldn't buy every book that interested me that I was seeing, I was just adding stuff straight to my to-read list from the scans, but then I did end up buying um, the three books. So the, the Interpreter of Maladies book was one that got great reviews on Goodreads, and um, it did win a Pulitzer Prize, so I decided to go ahead and buy it, even though it hadn't been on my radar at all. Uh, and I think it's a collection of short stories. I'm not positive. Um, On my Kindle, though, I am reading right now The Greater Journey, Americans in Paris, which is a nonfiction by David McCullough, who, uh, McCullough, who writes fantastic nonfiction books. They read kind of like novels. They're great. Um, the Greater Journey, Americans in Paris is essentially an overview of all the Americans who spent time in Paris from late 1800s to mid 1900s, I think, and people that were there at the same time. Right now, I'm in the, the segment that's really focused on Samuel Morse and James Fenimore Cooper, who became really good friends uh, when they were in Paris. And it's just interesting to see, think of those two people together. Plus, Samuel Morse is the one who invented the Morse Code, but he was actually a painter um, ahead of time. So this was this is actually focusing on his life as a painter. So it's interesting learning more about this person that you only think of in one category and find out, wow, actually, did a lot of other kinds of things. Uh, So I'm really enjoying that book. In terms of other ways I'm playing right now, I finally joined my church choir. I have wanted to do that for years um, and just always felt bad because I travel so much. So there's a lot of weekends I'm gone. There were a lot of nights I had conference calls, so I couldn't do the midweek rehearsals and all that. And I finally decided, you know, dang it, I'm just going to do it." And I talked to the choir director, and he had no problem with the fact that I'd sort of be in and out. You know, it's, it's a volunteer choir for the most part. We do have what we refer to as paid section leaders or paid solos. They're students from the Eastman School of Music, which is, you know, 10 minutes from our church. Um, so we do have some paid folks. It's a stipend, really. <laughs> we considered an outreach to the student body. Um, In any case, so other than that, we're all volunteers. We're all church members. And, you know, so obviously there's weekends that volunteers aren't around, so they're used to that. Um, And for me, it's wonderful to have a way I can be involved in the life of my church again as a volunteer, but not have something that totally depends on me being there, which is what I used to do. Um, you know, I would try to get involved in something and all of a sudden I'd be made the chairperson of it. And then I'd feel guilty because I wasn't able to be there and stuff wouldn't get done because I wasn't there and all of that. And it was just way too much stress. And so I, I just dropped out altogether for a long time. Um, but now I feel like I'm back in the life of the church. I'm involved. And yet I can be gone and not have to feel guilty about it. And that feels great. Um, I used to always sing alto. But the more I sing, the higher my voice actually gets. And I took a couple of very unofficial voice lessons from back when I was pastoring a church. We hired a woman as our music director for that church who actually is a professional opera singer. She was just starting out at that point. Now she is full on professional opera singer. Um, But we also got to be good friends. And so I asked her, you know, would you mind giving me a voice lesson or two? And, And she's the one that identified me. As a mezzo-soprano. The more I sing, the higher my voice gets, but I'm not quite full-on soprano. So (laughs) I had my first choir rehearsal on Wednesday night, this past Wednesday night, and for some reason we were seated. Rather than being up in the choir loft where we normally sing, we were down in the sanctuary and he had us seated so that the altos and the sopranos were actually kind of facing each other rather than sitting next to each other. And so since I kept kind of jumping back and forth between which part I was singing based on what way the soprano line was written for any given song, I was kind of actually physically moving back and forth, hopping up and sitting back and forth between the two sections. Fortunately, several of the pieces we were rehearsing, the soprano part gets split into two parts itself. So I was able to stay soprano, but sing the lower of the soprano parts. Anyway, that's all information you don't need. What I do want to say is how much I am loving singing in a choir again. This is one of those things you don't even totally realize you miss how much you miss it until you're doing it again. And you're like, wow, this feels really good. (laughs) Apparently I missed it a lot. so anyway, that's been fun. And then that inspired me to pick up my flute again. I used to play, I was actually pretty good back in the day. Um, my height of my playing was probably late high school, early college. Um, but, and I used to play for enjoyment. I would just, you know, if I had a vacation school, a school for vacation or weekends or over the summer, I would, it was not unusual at all for me to just, closet myself in my bedroom, and play for three to four hours straight, just playing for my own enjoyment. Um, what actually sort of tipped the balance and made me stop playing to begin with was when I got pregnant, because I, I had so severe morning sickness, and actually it wasn't just morning, and it wasn't just for the first trimester with my first child. I was sick through the whole dang thing, and I couldn't play flute because I would get nauseous. <laughs> just That was sort of the beginning of the end for me, um, was having children. Isn't that so true for so many things? (laughs) But in any case, I, you know, I would play a little bit here and there after that, but eventually I just stopped playing altogether and quilting really took that over um, as, you know, my creative outlet. But I always, every time, my husband and I go to the Philharmonic fairly often and every time I would think, oh, I really miss playing flute. That one I did know I missed. So finally being back in choir makes me, gives me a reason because I know there's often choir pieces that, have an accompaniment written for flute or any woodwind that I could play on flute. And also just being able to play at church periodically, you know, prelude, postlude, do some flute piano, flute organ stuff, which I have all of those books because I used to do a lot of that. And so I, I um, just yesterday, in fact, pulled my flute off the shelf, dusted it off. <laughs> I mean, it was really dusty. Um, took a good look at it because there's a lot about flutes that can deteriorate out of just not being used. And it actually seemed like it was in pretty good shape. And I decided I played for a few minutes during my lunch break. And actually, I was pleasantly surprised that I wasn't as bad as I thought I would be. I, I've lost a lot. There's no doubting that, but I hadn't lost as much as I thought I had. Uh, So I did two things yesterday. One, I took my flute into a local music store that does repairs and cleanings and all that kind of stuff, and I dropped it off. And then they also have music lessons. Now, again, I had mentioned Eastman School of Music earlier. We also have a school of music called Hochstein. Um, The two of them you can do lessons through them, and I have done lessons through Eastman back, again, back when I was playing. Um, That was before I got pregnant. In fact, I was taking lessons through Eastman at the time I got pregnant and had to stop because I just couldn't do it. Um, And my kids did lessons through Hochstein, so I'm very familiar with both of them. The problem is they both work on an academic schedule. You sign up for a whole semester. And I just don't know that I can do that right now, Um, again, because of the travel and everything. Whereas going through this music school, the flute teacher that I was able to sign up with also teaches at Eastman. She is a PhD in flute. She's very good. I loved her website. Really interesting stuff. But I can do it through this music store and you only sign up for a month at a time. Well, actually, you don't even do that. They put your credit card on file, essentially, and you get charged for every lesson you're there for. And then... um, at a month at a time and then if you do have to stop you just give them two weeks notice so it's very flexible um so i've signed up now essentially i'm going to do a month's worth of lessons and then i may not take any more that i just want to have that's the accountability that will get me playing and playing regularly and practicing and things to get myself back up to speed once i'm back up to speed i don't know that i'll need to keep taking lessons to have that um that accountability, I think at that point, then I will have scheduled performance and not performances, but scheduled times I'm playing at church, which will then get me practicing. So anyway, um, it just that I'm, I'm talking about that less to say, hey, look at me, I'm singing in choir and I'm playing flute again, more to say, I really feel like I'm reconnecting with a part of myself that has been dormant for a long, long time. Quilting took... Some of that, you know, the creative expression and, and doing something that wasn't my job, sure, it does that. And it's also got this whole social life involved in it um, that I've really appreciated Some my closest friends now. I still have a couple from my childhood and I have one from church, but other than that, it's, it's really um, more the uh, quilting and the social life and everything that's been going on. Um, I'm sorry, I just got blipped messages about my recording that I had to double check, and it made me lose my train of thought. Uh, But it's it's more that that whole musical side of me that had been so much a part of my life for so long, all the way through high school, well, starting mid-elementary, all the way through high school, my sisters and I, we were all musical, we all played instruments, we all sang, and so we used to do a lot of that together a lot. When I was in seminary, my best friend was an organist, and so we used to do organ flute stuff, um, in chapel quite regularly, and then even after that I would periodically play. But that's when it started. Once I graduated from seminary and I was in the working world and everything, it got less and less. Um, and so that just feels really good. And it, it's it's almost like I'm feeling like a whole person again. <laughs> that all of these things that were part of who made Sandy up, you know, and they're all kind of coming back into play again. Um, and I'm starting to just play around with fiction writing, which is the other thing that's always been a part of me. There's a great uh, website that I subscribe to now that's called dailypage.co.com. Um, it's actually a British page, but it it you sign up and it's essentially a daily journal, daily writing challenge kind of thing, but it gives you these writing prompts that you can write about. And it's really fun. And what I'm trying to do is write every day, although I've missed the last few days, I need to get back to this. And I'm trying to put myself in mind of, I just write for like 10 minutes. I And I don't try to write anything that connects. I use the writing prompt, I see what first pops into mind and I start writing. And what I the only rule I have for myself is that I keep it fiction. Um, a lot of the writing prompts are more aimed at like a uh, personal journal kind of thing. And I just look at what does this say to me from a fiction perspective. Um, And so essentially all I'm writing is a few paragraphs a day. None of them have anything to do with each other. And I'm not worrying about having a novel or a short story or any sort of finished product come out of this. I'm just doing it for fun and to just get myself back into the groove. Um, So that's been a lot of fun. Now, let me start talking about actual quilting. Um, I am still working on that nine patch pizzazz. That's the the quilt that I was periodically calling my low volume quilt. I was calling it other things. I don't remember. It had a few names, <laughs> but it is a nine patch pizzazz quilt. And this is the one that I'm gifting to someone um, within the next week. So I've got to get it done. I do now have the top fully pieced. It just needs to, um, my quilting now. And actually, the stopper has been basting because that's one of my two least favorite parts of the quilting process, basting and dealing with the backing. I did get the backing made, so (laughs) I dealt with that part. Now I got to baste it, Um, which in my house means taking it down to the basement and taping it to the floor, which is part of why I don't like doing it because I'm crawling around on my hands and knees. Um, And then I also need to do some practice free motion quilting before I get to actually doing this quilt because it's been a couple of years since I've free motion quilted anything. I did used to have somewhat decent skills. I could do, you know, meanders and kind of overall designs. I could do, I had a a flower, (coughs) excuse me, I had a flower design that I used to do, all all over design. And so I'm gonna, right now I'm kind of thinking I'll probably end up just meandering it because I have lost so much um, practice time over the last couple of years. But I wanna—I do have some quilt sandwiches already made up back, from back when I was actually practicing these things. I still have some of those quilt sandwiches around. So I'm gonna practice that overall flower design because that would just look a lot better on this quilt. And I've got to get that done by midweek next week. Um, so there is an end result to that. Meanwhile, once I got that one off my cutting table and off my sewing machine, I had about an hour available um, one night between Actually, I think it was the night I went to choir because it was between work and choir rehearsal. And so I knocked out one of my UFOs, which was my pillowcase that I wanted to get done for my great niece. I had a sort of a kit. I mean, it was basically just the fabric cut in the right dement, or right uh, sizes to make a tube style pillowcase. Um, I do have this now posted on the work in progress page of my blog. If you go to my blog homepage, you'll see WIPs is one of the pages, and I just posted picture a picture of it there. Um, I did also post a picture of it in my thinking about it Thursday blog post this week, so it's it's on there. But in on the WIP page, I also posted a link to the tutorial, which I believe um, the one I chose is Missouri Star Quilt Company YouTube tutorial on this particular method. But they are all over the internet if you just look up pillow uh, pillowcase tube or magic tube or some people call it a burrito it's all basically the same concept um, super easy super fast although again since it's been a long time i I have made several pillowcases in the past with that technique but it's been a while uh, so I had to pull out my cheat sheet I have a handwritten thing about how to do it I had to pull it out although for one thing I realized my handwritten cheat sheet was not altogether clear because I wrote it out when I was doing a lot of them so I didn't have to Apparently I didn't feel the need to write that particular detail, so I had to double check the Missouri Star Quilt tu- uh, tutorial just to make sure I was doing it right. Anyway, I got one done and then threw in a second one with some stash fabric uh, just to get rid of the stash fabric. I had a, a piece, I don't know if any of you remember, this was several years ago now, I believe it was the Fat Quarter Club had the scrap box you could buy, um, I don't even remember how much it cost, maybe 25 bucks, you could buy... <laughs> A box of scraps from Fat Quarter Shop. And I did, I think I only did one of them. I might've done two. Um, and it was kind of fun because you actually get decent size. These aren't just, you know, triangles, scrap triangles off of a project. These are end of bolts and ends of fabrics from when they were probably cutting um, pre-cuts and all that kind of thing. So it, they were usually about a third of a yard in size and usually with the fabric. So I got a decent amount of fabric when I did those. Um, but, you know, they're scraps, so they're a wide variety of styles, and I had one um, scrap that was just an adorable kid print that I never knew what to do with. Um, it was kind of a different color background than what I typically have in my stash. It was a modern one, modern print. Anyway, um, I did, when I decided to do the second pillowcase, I was able to find a good um, fabric in my stash that actually had been another one I'd never entirely known how to use. It's an ombre fabric. And then I used a two and a half inch strip that matched the two perfectly. So it was a good way to quickly get rid of some stuff off my fabric shelves and have another very cute pillowcase for my great niece. The only problem that came out with that one is that the cuff, the the scrap fabric from Fat Fork Quarter Club was a directional print. And I followed um, somebody's tutorial. I looked up you know how to deal with a directional fabric in the the cuff to see which way do I sew it on in this tube thing and the way they said to do it it, may, it turned out upside down and I don't know if it was just they said it wrong on their blog or whether they had one understanding as they wrote it and I read it in a different way you know it's it's hard to write directions for how to do something when you know so how so well how to do it you write it in the way that makes sense to you but somebody else might read it completely differently, which is what happened here. So the cuff is essentially upside down, but I'm the only one that knows that. This The little, my four-year-old great niece is not gonna care a lick, so (laughs) I'm good with it. And I will just remember next time, okay, if I have a directional cuff, shift it. Um, In any case, now once i get that nine patch pizzazz done which i hope i will i mean i should get it done this weekend not only because i don't have that much left to do on it but also because it's a long weekend we have monday off which is nice um then i've got two baby quilts i want to finish those are my next two ufos i really want to get done once i get those two done then the rest of the ufos for me to finish i can finish pretty much any time i don't have schedules on them the the two baby quilts nobody knows they're coming but I know these babies are getting older and older with every month that goes by that these don't get finished. So I really just want to get them done and get them out of my house. Um, however, I don't want to just focus on UFOs. I really i am chomping at the bit to start new projects as well. Uh, I do have one thing I don't think I've talked about. I don't know. I probably did talk about this in my my last little mini episode there at the end of December. I am doing cotton cuts. Uh, mystery quilt and I'm doing, I think I'm doing the smaller. I don't remember now whether I'm doing the smaller or the larger, but anyway, every month I get um, the block of the month and it's already pre-cut. So I don't even have to cut anything. I just have to sew the thing together. So I got the first months done the day I got the block. And as much as I can, I want to keep trying to do that, that everything else will stop and I'll quickly do that block because it, it doesn't take that long. Um, I think it took me maybe an hour and a half, and that was because I had to unstitch something in the middle of it because uh, I was thinking backwards. <laughs> that was just, that was a rookie mistake because of how rusty I am. Um, the next one should go much more smoothly because it's all starting to come back to me now. Um, so that's that's kind of an ongoing project. I had been debating whether or not I was going to do um, Charlotte's uh, mystery quilt, 2018 mystery quilt, for those of you who don't know about it, www.CharlotteHawksQuilts.com. Charlotte is the woman from my guild that we actually did her very first mystery quilt ever through this podcast and blog. Because at the time, she didn't have a social media presence. After that year, though, it was so popular and so many people um, outside of our guild said, Hey, we really want to keep doing these that... <laughs> I worked her over and she finally set up her own uh, website and everything and she now runs it totally her own. Um, The only thing I do is let you know it's out there. Uh, Anyway, I had debated whether I was gonna do it this year and I started pulling fabrics to do it and I've decided, no, I I think I'm not gonna do it this year. It was was just taking me way too long to figure out the scraps I was gonna use and that mostly had to do with backgrounds. So I'm not gonna do it this year. it does, I'm intrigued though, that she just came out with Clue 2, so it's not too late for you to start. She has beautiful scrap quilt design, she really does, so I would encourage you to do it. Um, and hers are nowhere near, they they can be, I mean, it, mystery quilts are always challenging, scrap quilts are always challenging. Um, I find Charlotte's a little bit easier to do than Bonnie Hunter's, and that's for two reasons. One, Bonnie's tend to be huge. (laughs) So they tend to have, you know, you're doing hundreds of these pieces. I did one Bonnie Hunter quilt, and I will probably never do another one again. I love her designs, but it's just not my style to do that. Um, Charlotte's often, she often not always gives you size choices. This one, there is a size choice, so you can choose how many pieces you're doing. the other thing she does that Bonnie doesn't do is Charlotte gives you values for the fabrics to pick out. Bonnie just says colors, and that's always driven me nuts. And although she has this whole thing about why she doesn't do values and everybody should do colors anyway, and you should be able to just figure out the values, I mean, because people have asked her that. Um, I just really prefer having Charlotte say, okay, here's the colors I'm using, but here's the values you need, do whatever colors you want. And that's just so much easier to figure out because um, if you don't want to do Bonnie's colors, it's a little bit of guesswork to figure out colors that will ultimately work the way you want them to work. I will say Bonnie's um, mystery quilt from th- this past year, 2017, her most recent one, a-, a few women in our guild have done it. I've seen it a lot online. It is a gorgeous quilt. It is a gorgeous quilt so i think what i'll probably do in, in bonnie's in the case of bonnie hunters again i i do love her quilts i just don't think i'll ever do it as a mystery quilt i'll just wait until they're done and then consider whether i would do it but still they're big <laughs> and i don't tend to do big quilts um that being said even though i've said I'm, i don't do big quilts i do think this year i might make a couple of bigger bed quilts just because i really want to get rid of my stash and that's kind of the fastest way to do it is to do rather than doing 15 small quilts just do couple of really big quilts and you knock out a lot of fabric Um, I'm also going to be focusing on jelly roll quilts uh, two and a half inch strips essentially because I do have um, a few jelly rolls and yes I've succumbed and bought a couple of new ones in the last couple of months although I shouldn't have Um, but I've also just got a ton of strips two and a half inch strips that are from various strip exchanges etc and it is really easy to cut two and a half inch strips out of stash fabric. So if I need to add to my collection for any particular quilt, and or to do a controlled palette um, jelly roll quilt. So in other words, find a pattern out of one of my jelly roll books and then do a controlled palette and just strip my stash essentially. Um, plus, speaking of strip my stash, I do also have the craftsy class called "strip strip your stash, strip my stash, stripping your stash." I don't remember the actual name of it. Um, but that one has, you strip your stash using several widths of strips, and then she's got several patterns that put them back together. And of course, there's string quilt patterns out there all over the place. This is not a new concept or a technique that's, you know, that you have to have a book to do. You just strip your stash so the strips back together and make blocks out of them. Um, and I think that's what I'm going to do. But in any case, I think that's going to end up being maybe a couple of bigger bed quilts. And in fact, I'm starting to sort of think ahead a little bit because several of our next generation, um, we have a few couples that have not announced that they're officially engaged yet, but we know it's probably gonna happen. And when it probably does happen, they'll probably all happen at the same time. Um, So I'll probably be wanting to do a bunch of bed quilts all at once. So I'm starting to just say, why don't I just start making bed quilts now? And then (laughs) they will just get gifted at random when they happen. Um, So anyway, that's kind of what my future plans are. And I, I will be sending some stuff out for quilting. I already know a couple of my UFOs that I plan on sending out for quilting. So. I'm not gonna slow myself up by doing all of this. And I've also been looking at renting long arm time um, at a store near us that does it. I just can't, I haven't been able to connect there yet. So anyway, um, I think, let me double check what time I'm at. I think that's all I'm gonna talk about today. Um, I will be probably in the next week or so, I'll be getting my two box of the months, uh, my sew sampler and my cotton cuts. And so, I will do those um, as video posts on my blog. I know there are those of you who don't like that, but it's faster and easier. And judging by the number of people that watch the videos, actually, most people do like it. So, I will be doing them as video. Um, and you can always just fast forward through the video, it's really fast to do that. And that's how I watch most of my unboxing. I just Hit fast forward until I get to, oh, that's the next new one. I look at the next new one for about five seconds and then I fast forward again. So um, I will be doing those. I don't, I am out of town for several days next week. So it all kind of depends on when they actually get to me and when I have the time to post the video, whether you'll get the videos next week or whether it'll be the following week. Uh, so that's it for this episode. Oh, wait, I have to give a shout out to Sarah in Houston. Uh, at Sarah in Houston, that's her handle on Twitter and Instagram. She, <laughs> I saw this adorable, I think it's crocheted. I don't think it's knitted. I think it's crocheted, but Sarah in Houston, correct me if I was wrong on that. Um, anyway, I saw it on int- Pinterest. It's this little, probably three or four inch high sloth <laughs> that's crocheted, and it was adorable. And so I just posted it on Instagram and said, this is adorable, who wants to make me one? And I was just kidding. And Sarah in Houston immediately said, oh, I will, what color? I was like, I don't care, your color choice. I mean, that's, it's wonderful. I really was not like officially asking for somebody to make me one. I just did put that up there because they were stinking adorable. Um, and I am so thankful that she did actually make it. And she sent it to me, I got it this past week and he's perched on top of my Janome sewing machine. And he's actually stayed up there. I've sewn with him up there a few times and he's stayed up there just fine. He's kind of, his arms and legs are sort of wrapped around the dial that adjusts the pressure foot pressure. Um, so apparently it doesn't get jostled as much as I would have thought he would. Uh, so he is adorable. Thank you so much, Saren Houston, um, for doing that. I did post a picture of him on my blog as well. I think about uh, it was on the Thinking About It Thursday post. So you can check it there. Um, and again, that, that came from Pinterest. I'm not sure, I don't remember now where the pattern actually was. So, Sarah in Houston, if you want to leave a comment on this blog and give people a link to the pattern if they're interested in seeing it, that would be great. Otherwise, everybody can just look for Crocheted Sloth on Pinterest and see what comes up. Uh, so, I will tell you now how to get a hold of me. Um, I have to remind myself. <laughs> You can email me at sandyquilts at gmail.com, sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. You can, of course, leave comments on the blogs. I highly recommend it. And speaking of which, if you leave a comment on the blog and you actually sign in, um, create yourself an account or whatever it asks you to do, when you leave a comment and then I reply to the comment directly on the blog, I think it automatically sends you the email. I don't know that for sure. People can let me know. I have gotten myself in the habit now of I, I always respond to people's comments on the comments on the blog itself. If you don't actually subscribe, if you just sign in as a guest or, or just leave your name or however it works, you're not going to see it unless you go back to the blog or subscribe to blog comments, which you can also do as an RSS feed. So that's all a sidebar. You can also follow me on Twitter and Pinterest and Instagram. I am sandyquilts in all of those places. Sandy with a Y, quilts with a Z. Um, There is a Quilting for the Rest of Us group on Facebook. There is also a Quilting for the Rest of Us Flickr group, which was terribly inactive for a while (laughs) because I had kind of dropped the ball on that. I have committed myself to starting to post things back in Flickr again. And you can also join the Quilting for the Rest of Us Kiva team and do good all over the world. And you will find links for all of those things at the website at www.quiltingfortherestofus.com. So until next time, which I'm hoping will be in about a month, I'm gonna try to do this monthly now, not weekly. Uh, Anyway, until the next time, go get your quilty on. Quilting for the Rest of Us is dedicated to Shirley. Love you, Mom.